We're in First Peter chapter 4. We probably have like a month left, and then um, we're done. And uh, we'll probably be moving on to something else. Um, but this has been a very appropriate book, I think, for the times that we live in. I've been completely blessed. I hope you guys have been blessed. I've been enlightened. Hopefully you guys have been enlightened. I've been stretched um, in my thinking um, as far as what's biblical thinking and what's not biblical thinking during difficult times and oppositional times. And Peter gives us all this uh, in this book. Uh, Ongoing theme throughout the entire book of Peter. Ongoing theme. It's kind of an umbrella over the whole book is how the Christian is to live in a hostile and oppositional world. Today... We're going to, um, in this section, Peter's going to be speaking specifically to how we are to do that in light of the fact that everything in the world is coming to an end. And I think that, I think that you and I need to remember that every single day as people that have their citizenship, not here, but here. Because it's so, it's so easy for us to get caught up in everything that's going on in the headlines and everything that's going on around us. And it seems like it's just rapidly like progressing at just a crazy speed. And it's so easy, I think, for us to get caught up in that. But we need to know that this isn't it. That what you're feeling right now isn't what you're always going to feel. That what you're experiencing right now is not what you're always going to experience. That what's going on in the world around you right now is not always going to. We need to know that it has an expiration date. When we live that way, knowing that consciously, it will change the way that you and I live now. And this is really what Peter's interested in. And it's what he's really interested in um, specifically today uh, with what he's going to be talking about. Let's go ahead and read the text. First uh, Peter chapter 4. Um, I am going to take an entire two verses. Because, yeah, don't be too impressed. Um, but that's just how I do it. Uh, if I, I, I really should, looking at this section, probably be taking 7 through 11 because that's all the same thought. That all um, very much goes together. But the more that I looked at it, it was like, there's no way I'm going to do any of this justice. There's just some stuff that, that needs to be camped on. And it's okay for us to camp on stuff that needs to be camped on. So we're going to do two verses. So uh, chapter 4, 1 Peter, verse 7 and 8. The end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Um, Do you know what you are going to do tomorrow? You already know what tomorrow looks like. Hopefully Palmer's is going to be at Eugene and Sherry's, like handling business. All right. Some of you already have something scheduled. Some of you already have appointments. Some of you are going to work. You know what that looks like. I know what my day pretty much looks like tomorrow, I think, for the most part. Because Mondays are kind of the, the pastor's day off. It ain't Saturday. It ain't Sunday. Um, it's, it's usually Mondays that day. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll out of bed probably around 7, 7.30. I'm going to grab a cup of coffee. I'm going to sit looking out the back windows at all my wife's crazy animals playing together. She has these really big fat bunny rabbits. They're humongous. And then the dogs get crazy with the bunnies. And then the cat gets in the mix. And it's just, it's just something to watch every morning when you have your first cup of coffee. And when I'm done with that, um, I'm probably going to go for three 
strips of bacon and a piece of toast that has way too much butter on it. So um, I'm the next one for open heart surgery. And, uh, and then I'm going to go sit with a couple for a while in their home, probably, and visit with them. Uh, and then I think I'll come home and probably look at my next text, since this one will be done, what I'm going to be preaching on next, and maybe jot a few things down and start to meditate on it. Tomorrow night, um, I'm definitely going to watch some hockey playoff games because I'm a huge hockey fan. All of you are looking at me like, hockey? <laughs> you know, typical Oregonians. Yes, hockey. There's nothing like hockey playoffs, and they're going down right now. So I'm probably going to catch two or three of those games tomorrow night. And that's what I'm assuming I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm pretty sure that's what my day looks like. And the reason that I assume that that's what my day is going to look like is because I've had a ton of tomorrows that have already piled up and have reasonably resembled what I thought that they would look like. Um, We assume that we know as if it's a done deal what tomorrow looks like because we've already lived through a ton of them. We assume that our tomorrows will just keep stacking up because they always have. They always do. Until one day maybe they don't. It's generally true that many people don't really start living until they find out that they're dying. I know this has been true somewhat for Pastor Brent and what he's gone through. I know that once he realized this is real, what's happening. These people are going to be opening up my heart and handling it. And that knowledge caused him to want to handle some things with his family. I know that he he started to write some notes and make some videos for kids and wives. Because that's usually how it works. Sorry, wife. (laughs) I can't believe that none of you helped me with that. You're just going to let me go. He's been faithful. There's just one. Joy's the only one for Brent. Going on record. When we, when we find out that we're dying, a lot of times that's when we actually start living. We start doing the things we've always wanted to do. We start saying the things that we've always wanted to say to people that we've needed to say them to. We start to live the way that we want to live. Why? Because of urgency, because of desperation, because of inevitability, because of imminency. Imminent, uh, you guys have heard the word? Imminent? All right, good. It's, it's when something is forthcoming, when it's impending, when it's nearing. And the truth is that we need, to, we need to be woken up out of our slumber of the assumed and the expected sometimes before we really start to push the limits of what matters most in our lives. And this is really what Peter's going to do with the church here in this section. This is really what he's doing. This is what his tactic is right here. Is he's snapping them us, the church, out of our slumber by proclaiming or heralding these eight words, the end of all things is at hand. Does that get your attention? It gets my attention. We've been reading through these, this, this book. There's all kinds of words on these pages, and then it is, it is a little interesting when all of a sudden you come to some words that say the end of all things is at hand, period. That'll, that'll, that kind of takes things up a notch, right? It's almost like a verily, verily type thing. 
It makes real to me that just because today used to be yesterday's tomorrow doesn't guarantee that they'll just keep piling up the way that they've always piled up. A lot of you know Andrew Walls. He's a deacon here. I'm kind of glad that he's not here today. Um, hopefully he's not watching. But... <clears throat> We had this Bible study years ago at our house. It was a Friday night Bible study. And it was, a, it was just one of those times that we reflect on. It's so fond. It was just such rich times where we'd pack the house with a bunch of families and a bunch of kids. And there were times when people wouldn't leave our house till 2 or 3 in the morning. Like that's how rad the, the, that our fellowship was. You know what I mean? And it was fellowship. Like when we, when we were done uh, in, in our studies at the couch, we would move to the kitchen table, you know. And we were done with the, at the kitchen table, we'd move to the kitchen. Like it, it, just, it just kept going, and it was like this for years. And Andrew and um, Rebecca, before they had kids, they were, they were young kids years ago coming to that. That's where we first met them. And um, when he would go to leave, I would walk him out sometimes, like see him out. And I'd be like, see you later, brother. See you next Friday. And he would always turn around and say, Lord willing. And it used to make me mad. It used to make me so mad that that was his response. Like, Lord willing. And he would do this week after week, and I'd keep trying to do it to like hear a different response, and he would always say the same thing. And I would get madder and mad. Just once I wanted to hear him say, like, for sure, dude, we'll be here. You know what I mean? But it never came. Like, he, he never did that. He actually believes what James says in the book of James. That, that none of us have any idea, control over what's gonna go down tomorrow. That's God's, not ours. Right? And he, and, and, and Andrew, by doing that all the time, would just, he just wanted to re- proclaim that. Tomorrow's his, not ours. And that's a good thing for us to know. So ne- next time you see him, <laughs> next time you see him, be like, dude, I'll see you next Sunday. And see what he says. Cause he probably, I think he still says it. And it's fun. It's fun to do. Peter is stirring us here to be now, now minded, not tomorrow minded, to be now minded, to have this mind about you now, to have this practice about you now, to live these things out now, to participate and to walk in that which matters most now, right now. And so Peter starts off, the end of all things is at hand. Now, there's a problem. For us, with what Peter says here, do any of you know what it is? Bueller? (laughs) There's a problem for us with what Peter says here in these eight words that causes us not to take too seriously the weight of them. And that is that he said it 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. Do any of you know how many tomorrows that is? That's 730,000 sunrises and sunsets. And it can be easy for us to think that because he said this to the church 2,000 years ago, it must not be all that urgent because we've had 2,000 years worth of tomorrows and counting since he said these words. So what gives? What does Peter mean? What does the Bible mean? What does the Word of God mean or intend in this statement? Well, the New Testament's actually littered with these imminent statements, these statements of imminency. In fact, Jesus makes one at the very end of the book of Revelation, chapter 22. He says, behold, I am coming quickly. And that sounds like he's coming quickly. And that was 2,000 years ago. So what's up? 
Well, when we read our scriptures as a whole, we're able to come to the conclusion that we, the church, are living in the midst of a specific time period in redemptive history known as the last days. Time period. And biblically, the last days is defined as that time period beginning with the first coming of Christ into the world and ending with the second coming of Christ, his return, okay, which is the next main event, which is the next final event in redemptive history. Thus, the end of all things is at hand means that the church are living in the last days of redemptive history, just like they were when Peter said this. In other words, we live in a time period in which the gospel is to go throughout all the earth and then the end will come. In other words, there's a historic redemptive roll call, roll call that's being performed right now. That's the stage that we live in. And yet it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. Tomorrows keep piling up and piling up. And this is one of the primary reasons why there are mockers and scoffers of the Bible and of the Christian faith. Because they say, where is he? If he's real, what's he doing? Why hasn't he shown himself yet? Why are we able to keep piling up tomorrows? And I want to give you two helpful ways to look at this biblically, okay? The first one is this. It's helpful for us to remember that none of the New Testament writers are experts on the day or the hour. None of that belongs to them. That's God's, not man's. Okay? Which leads me to remind you once again, if you don't already know this, when someone comes and sets a date for Jesus' return, no, no, don't buy it, don't chase it, don't be excited about it, because that man does not know. He doesn't know. It's also very helpful for us to remember other words which Peter speaks, like that's which he goes on to say in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8, where he says, With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. In other words, God doesn't measure time the way that you and I measure time. That's what that's saying. Even though he's instituted time into his creation. He doesn't measure quickness the way that you and I measure quickness. That's what that statement tells us. But what's more interesting about the text which Peter makes that statement in is why Peter is making the statement, which just happens to be for the very reason that we're talking about right now. Because it is a text in which he's actually giving a defense to those who welcome and mock and scoff at us because Jesus has not yet returned. Peter's responding to a people who are attacking Jesus' absence as a reason not to believe. That chapter starts off, where is the promise of his return? For all things continue to go on the way that they did ever since the beginning of the world. That's what the mocker will say. In which Peter responds, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. There it is. Our idea of quickness is not God's idea of quickness. Our idea of slowness is not God's idea of slowness. Peter goes on to say, but he is patient towards you. And that is a definite article. Do you know who he's talking to? Who the specific group of people is that Peter's talking to there? The same people he's talking to here in 1 Peter. The church. Believers. The bride of Christ. The redeemed. Okay? And he says, 
God is not patient or, or, or is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to or reach repentance. You guys all know that part of the verse, right? Everyone's got that one tucked away. In other words, Jesus is patient in his return so that the fullness of his, I'm going to use the word, elect, you and me, his church, his remnant, his bride, those names that were written in the book of life from when? Since when? Since the foundation of the world can come to the same saving knowledge of him. Do you realize that? That there is a ledger that God has with names in it. And not everybody's names in it. But those who will become his, those who he has set his mind and his love on, their names are in that ledger. You did not know God, but he always, always, always knew you. He always knew you. Before you were born, before your mother was born, before your genealogy goes back, he saw you. He knew you. Not that he knew what you would do. He actually knew you intimately as his. And your name is in that book. Let me put it this way. I'm 47 years old. What if Jesus had come back 48 years ago? This is what we're talking about here in Peter. This is why the Lord has not come back, but he waits and things go on and on and on. Is because he's going to make sure that the bodies, the souls of the names that are written in the ledger are born and come into this life and hear the gospel and receive the gospel and become born again so that when their name comes up, when their number's called, or when Jesus returns, they will be found forever with him. This is good news. So when we look at it this way, we praise God that he waits. You know what I'm saying? We talked about this Thursday night at the men's study. We sat around and we were talking about, um, um, you guys have all heard the phrase Maranatha, which means Jesus come quickly. Like we want, a Christian wants to see a Savior. That's the best thing that can happen to us. That's the thing which our expectation should be set on more than anything else is seeing our Lord face to face, being with Him, having sin be completely eliminated and eradicated once for all to where we can see Him the way and know Him the way that we are known by Him. This is one of the greatest things. If, if you're a believer in Christ and um, you don't have this expectation, this blessed hope of Christ's return and seeing Christ, something's wrong. Okay? But on the other hand, every day that He is slow, that He waits, praise God. Because it's another day that somebody will hear the words of life and be birthed to new life. It's another day that a name in the ledger gets filled. And brothers and sisters, this is why you and I exist. This is why we harp on it all the time. What are we doing here? Why does the church go on and on and on? What is my purpose? What is God's purpose for me while this is happening? This is it. It's that right now he's busy with the gospel going out and bringing in names. And how does he do that? What are the means in which he does that? You and me being gospel carriers. 
the people who desperately need it. So how are we doing? How are we doing? This is what Peter's talking about there. See if I can figure this out. This is how the return of Christ is both imminent and yet still anticipated 2,000 years later. We good? Okay. Now that we've talked about what this is, let's talk for a minute about what this does. Because I want us to notice that Peter's thought process concerning the imminent return of Christ is not that we should sit on our hands now and stare into heaven and twiddle our thumbs, which a lot of us are good at. You know what I mean? Like, I got my ticket. Now I just need to kick my feet up and wait. And, th- and that's not the deal. That's not why you and I exist on earth right now, is, is to just kick it and wait. Peter's conclusion here for us as Christians, knowing that the next main event is the return of our Lord to this earth, is to be all the more active in Christian things. All the more active. All the more active in things that make us Christ followers. All the more active in prayer and love and hospitality and walking in our giftings, which are the four things that Peter's actually going to nail right here in these verses. We're only going to hit two of them today, but those are the four. In other words, the knowledge and the expectation of Jesus coming soon to end all things as we know them ought to drive us to more action, not less. More. It's meant to accelerate those things which make us Christian. Why? Because we know full well that our tomorrows and the world's tomorrows are being depleted. There is an expiration date. There's a shelf life like we talked about. So, because the end of all things is at hand, how are we then to live? What should be our priorities? What, we, what should we be focusing on above all else concerning our conduct and our treatment, both toward the world and toward one another? Rest of verse 7 gives us that. Starts into it. You ready? Peter starts off there by saying that we should live in a perpetual state of self-control and sober-mindedness. In other words, clear thinking. A clear mind. Why? For the sake of our prayers, which sounds kind of funny, but, but quite simply, it just means that the state of mind that we find ourselves in directly affects our prayers. How many of you know this to be true? I know it to be true for me. If I am really angry at somebody or something, it affects the way I talk to God. Or if I even do. You know what I'm saying? If I've got jealousy going on, if I've got strife going on, if I've got bitterness against somebody or something, resentment that I'm holding on to, all of that affects my, my prayers first. It's the first thing that takes a hit. And that's what Peter's telling us here. The state of conduct that we find ourselves in directly affects our prayers. Self-control matters. It all directly affects our spiritual state and our condition, including how much we pray, how hard we pray, and what we pray for. I am glad that my prayers aren't recorded. You know what I'm saying? What's going on inside of us, guys? What we're feeding on and and, and allowing to be manufactured within us directly affects our relationship and our communication with God. What's going on here directly affects this. It all directly affects what comes out of us, what it is that's coming into us. This is why us pastors care so much 
about what you are watching and what you are listening to and what you are spending your time in, we care. Because what that is that you're taking in is what's being produced in you and what will come out. We heard about a pastor this week. Actually, this was horrifying. This is a, this dude found out that, that, um, that a dude in his congregation was dating his daughter. So he like started setting up like surveillance cameras around this dude's house and stuff. Right? Uh, which we're not there yet. Um, <laughs> and, and hopefully we will never be. It's crossed our mind a couple of times, right? But we're not, I'm not, we're not creepers, right? That like come up to your, your, your window at night of your house and, and peek in there and watch what you're doing and, and what you're watching on the television. But we, we know by what comes out of you guys, um, that what, what's, we have a pretty good idea sometimes at what's going in. Right? So, and you've heard the old saying, right? Garbage in, garbage out. And that's all we're talking about here. Like, that's just a, a reality of human nature. What you're giving your headspace to and your heart space to matters. So much of the anger, guys, and the fear, and the worry, and the division that we see in the church right now, in Christians right now, is because they're more concerned with the state of the nation than they are with the state of the kingdom. I know you like Fox News because that's your side. Because they agree with some moral things that God agrees with. But that does not mean they're God's people that you're watching and listening to. A lot of those people are all about hate. They're all about divisiveness. They're all about fear. They're all about the things that are opposite of the fruits of the Spirit. And so even if they hate abortion... And hate gay marriage and are fighting against it doesn't mean that they're on your side. If you're spending seven hours a day with that stuff and, and five minutes a day in the Word of God, guess which one's going to have more of an impact on you? This is about diet that we're talking about right now. We're talking about diet. Now, I care too about what's going on in the world. I care about what's going on around me. That's why I need to care more about who it is that owns it. And so do you. Just because somebody says something that's right or that you agree with doesn't mean they're from Him. Doesn't mean that it's having a good impact on you. So watch that stuff. This is what we care about. We care about you with this stuff because we see it going on so much right now in the church and it just breaks our heart that some of you are chasing the wrong kingdom. Got to find my spot. Sorry. What we need to be about is the fruits of the Spirit. And I, and I just want to, I think I'll just skip ahead to this. As the world gets darker, which it is, I think we would all agree uh, that it's kind of on a dimmer switch. You know what I mean? At least, and, 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 and that's not a fair statement because it's been dark for centuries in other parts of the world. It's you and I that it's getting dark. Like, we're on a dimmer switch right now. <laughs> all right. I want to be fair to the other churches and, and the blood trail that comes out of the church that goes way back from a long time ago. People have not had what you and I have had. But right now here, there's a dimmer switch. Things are going darker. And what do you think that the people of God need more and more of as things get darker? We need more light. We need more light. We need more truth. 
We need more Jesus. We need more Jesus. And so we need to go to those places, those wells, where we find more Jesus, not less. And the way that I know how I'm doing more than anything else in my life with what I'm consuming, with my diet, is by what's coming out of me. All we have to do is stand back every once in a while and take our pulse. Just honestly examine what's going on here and what's going on here. Because there's things the Bible tells us are clearly of God and things that clearly aren't characteristics. And you and I can identify those if we look for them. And that'll tell us where we are and what we need to do. If I don't see the fruits of the Spirit going on inside of me when I examine myself, I've left the zip code that I should be in. I've gone to a bad neighborhood. I need to go back home. And so I need more of him and less of whatever it is that I've been eating. Does that make sense? When we do this, when we are in line with the fruits of the Spirit, which are found in Galatians chapter 5, by the way, maybe around verse 22, don't know, you'll find it if you go to 5, right? It means that we're going to have more love. We're going to have more peace. We're going to have more joy. We're going to have more faithfulness. We're going to have more gentleness. We're going to have more kindness. These are all the things that are from God, right? When, when, when we're experiencing these things and seeing these things come out of us, that means that God is in us doing these things. We've activated the, the, the God part of what's going on inside of us. That's that stuff from him. When we see the opposite going on, where, again, it's hate, where it's fear, where it's division, we know, we know what's going on. The, the, the alarm should go off. Ding, 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 ding. And we need to go back to the right neighborhood. Okay? We need to be, as things get darker, we need to be more in this. More in this. You guys need to be putting on more sermons in, as you ladies are in the kitchen cooking. I know I'm stereotyping right now, but I can do that here. This is a church. Um, and, so, um, uh, and, and men, as you're out driving, yeah, tractors. Yes. Bull. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> Cattle. Um, put sermons on. Be listening to that stuff. I have my, my phone is packed with just all kinds of dudes that I have found are trustworthy and faithful to the word of God, men of God. And every chance I get, I'll put a sermon on and I'll listen to it. You know why? Because I, I'm feeding myself something that I desperately need. And I'm better for it every single time. I'm calibrated every single time. I'm catching lies and garbage that my brain has been focusing on every single time. That's what it does. When you come here and you listen to a sermon, hopefully, like this one, you will walk out of here calibrated. It's like pointing true north again. Like knowing where you should be and where you shouldn't be and why. Right? The Word of God does that. The truth of God does that. And so we need more of that in our diet any way that we can find it. And it's easier now more than ever for us to find things that facilitate this. Again, with all of our devices that we have and just all the avenues of, of getting sermons. Um, and, um, I mean, no one even reads books anymore, right? No one does that here. Uh, you could. You could read books still, too. Because they still exist. But like there, there's so many things we can do that we, don't, we just don't have an excuse to never be like completely be saturating ourselves with the truth of God. And again, as the days get worse, guys, we need to do it more, not less. We need to do it more. All right. Now I'm really lost. Um, 
When we go to a bad neighborhood, and this is the part where I want to connect it back to how it uh, affects our prayers uh, because I haven't done it well, um, it's, it, it's, it's kind of like uh, the equivalence of us sleeping on the job when it comes to our relationship with God and being in tune to God when we've actually traveled off into things that are not of him. And it's, it's interesting because we saw um, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about Peter in my sermon um, and an example that he learned in the garden from Jesus um, concerning something that he was directly talking about, and that is not repaying evil for evil. So remember when the soldier came to, to do that, 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 that dirty deed to uh, Jesus, and he pulled out his sword and tried to take his life, but only got his ear because he's a fisherman and not a soldier. And, um, and, um, and Jesus like stopped and put, repaired the dude's ear, you know, and, and was like, um, you know, we, we don't, this isn't how we do things. We don't repay evil for evil. So he learned that lesson. He's giving us that. Today he's giving us another one with this statement, I believe, that's fresh on his mind. And that is that that night um, when Jesus was betrayed, uh, after they ate together, um, Satan, this is weird, Satan steps into Judas. And Peter walks up and looks at him in the eye, in the face, and says, go do what you need to do. And so they leave. And then Jesus leads the other 11 out first to the Mount of Olives, and then to the garden, right? And he sets them down and he says, this is it. This is why I came. It all comes down to this moment right here. The main event is going down. And I need you guys to be alert. And I need you to be watchful right now for me. I'm going to go over here and pray. And he goes over and prays and he comes back and he sees what? They're snoozing. Like they're, they're sleeping on the job, right? And so he like shakes them, wakes them up. And, and he's like, hey, can't you guys just like handle this for a few minutes? It ain't going to be that long. Um, I'm going to go back over, stay awake, stay alert, prayerful, mindful, right? Sober-minded. And uh, he goes back over, comes back, they're sleeping, right? Does it a third time. And he comes back and they're, and they're sleeping. And he concludes by saying this to them. Sleep and take your rest later. Because the hour is at hand when the Son of Man is betrayed. And I really believe that the same thing is true for us here in what Peter is saying to us in chapter 4. The same significance applies. The same level of importance applies. Sleep and take your rest later on. Because the hour is at hand that the Son of Man is returning. Is coming back. And if we find ourselves focusing on the wrong things and being consumed with the wrong things and found doing the wrong things and found wrapped up in the wrong things, we will find ourselves to be sleeping on the job. And it all starts with our prayer. It will hijack us from what we should really be doing and watching for. And so just as Jesus wanted them to be awake and clear-headed for his betrayal, Jesus wants us to be awake and clear-headed for his return. So for the sake of your prayers and for the sake of your communion and for the sake of your worship and the sake of your fellowship and the sake of your communication with God and your peace of mind, make certain that you consume yourself with him and what he has said and what he's going to do and not the world around you. Amen? Then you will find and you will experience self-control, sober-mindedness that allows you to see clearly and think clearly and pray clearly. Peter then moves on in verse 8 to pretty much the granddaddy of our relational focus and concern, um, which is love. This should have been probably, this should be an entire sermon. 
this verse right here. It's not going to be. And I'm not going to keep you here late. I'm just going to shortchange you on it. So you're going to have to go home and like go home and study it. You know, go, go get lost in it on your own time because there's a lot to get lost in here. But he goes into love to keep loving one another earnestly. And why are we to keep loving one another earnestly? Uh, because love covers a multitude of sins, offenses, wrongs. And if we are going to do life together, you and I, as the body of Christ, as we're told to do, we're going to need to be good at this. Like we have a love for each other because Christ is in us, but it's not because each of us are so lovable. It's because love lives in us. The Apostle Paul says something similar when he tells us that love keeps no records of wrongs. No records. In other words, there is no rap sheet when you love somebody. The first thing that we notice here is that Peter doesn't just say love. He says love earnestly. And that word earnestly changes some stuff because it tells us how to love. And it means to love in full stride. Like think of a horse. Because that's really what the Greek definition does is it gives us the picture of a horse in full gallop. You ever seen that? You ever been to the horse races? You ever seen those things when they come down the stretch and those jockeys are hitting them with everything they have and those horses are pushing it with everything they have to get the fullest stride that they can get? They're extending everything as far as they can possibly extend it so that they can get as far as they can. They're giving it all that they've got. That's what Peter's saying here when he says love earnestly. He's saying to give it all that you've got in loving one another. And this is kind of a buzzkill, uh, actually, of a challenge, because if you're like me, we love the, way, the same way that we do just about everything else. Um, and that's on our own terms. You know, I have ceilings. I have bars. I have standards that you still need to match in order to get my love gifted to you. We're not God. We're not Jesus. We can't love all the time the way that he does. But because he now dwells in us, it's possible that you and I can love this way. It's possible. Peter's not leaving this open to our own terms and interpretation. He's saying that as we see the final day approaching, we are to love each other with everything we've got. Everything that we've got. We are to love deeper. We are to love harder. We are to love crazier without restraint so as to tax ourselves doing it. How many of you live that way every day? When we do this thing, love earnestly, this thing has the power to cover a multitude of sins. Peter pulls this from Proverbs 10:12, which says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. And I want you to know, guys, that this is a really big deal for us to hear and for us to appropriate and own for ourselves today. Okay? Because when somebody sins against us, we have two options. We can bury it or we can expose it. We can kill it. The sin, not the person. 
or we can keep it alive. We can meditate. We can actually take that offense, that sin against us, and meditate on it. Replay it so that it's always before us. We can keep it alive inside of us. And when we keep that alive inside of us, all these things start growing. Roots of bitterness. Anger. Again, we're going back to things that are not fruits of God. We can keep it alive that way. In fact, when Peter goes to Jesus and says, how many times should I forgive somebody? And he goes 70 times 7. I think a lot of times we just, we just think of like uh, 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 an overall calculation of like offenses against us. But do you realize, if you're married, you do, that that could be one sin from one person done 25 years ago. All it takes is something to bring it back up, to spark it back to memory. And at that point, you can either keep it alive and you can crucify that person all over again, or you can do what Jesus says and forgive that sin yet again and yet again and yet again and yet again. I, I get in trouble with my wife for since I've committed against her when in her dreams. <laughs> she wakes up mad at me sometimes. And it's like, what did I do? And she's like, you did it last night. You know what I mean? That's what it looks like to keep things alive, is that every time it comes back to memory, we meditate on it, and we get mad, and we want justice our way all over again. All over again. And Peter says that's not love. The other thing that we can do with it is expose it. It happens all the time in churches. I wish it didn't. This person wronged that person, and that person's going to make sure that as many people know about it as possible. What the heck are we doing? We can expose it. It's called gossip. That's our way of getting back or getting justice. And it's wrong. And Peter would say that's, that's not love when we do that. It begs the question, how in the world can we possibly do this? How in the world can you and I, sinful people that fall short and are, love ourselves more than we love anybody else, how can we possibly love it, walk in this? How can we possibly perform this? How can we love like this? How is it even possible that we can possess the capability of walking in this kind of love, this earnest love that covers sin rather than records it? And the only possible answer, the only possibility of living with such a love is by us continually thinking on, meditating on, obsessing on who it is that we possess and why we possess Him. It's the Gospel. Again. And I know that this gets old for you guys, but I really hope it doesn't get old for you guys. That all you ever hear come out of the pastors at the door is the gospel. It doesn't matter what text we're in in the Bible or what book we're in. We will start there and we will run as fast as we can to the cross. Because that's how we're supposed to handle our Bibles. It's all about Jesus. And it's all about the work of Jesus. The gospel and growing in the grace and the knowledge of the person and work of Christ every day as a Christian does more for you than you know, than we think it does. That Jesus loves us is not shallow. 
That Jesus loves us is the deep end of the theological swimming pool. That He loves us at all is everything. And it's all wrapped up in the Gospel. And we must know. We must meditate on. We must camp on as much as we possibly can be fully absorbed with the Gospel every day of our lives. Because if we are not, we will do things the wrong way for the wrong reasons. It is the gospel that sets everything. It's the gospel that makes impossible things for you and I to walk in possible. That's why we have to be completely immersed in it every single day. It is the answer every time. So what, what, what is it that drives me to want to walk in this kind of love? Why should I care? Why do I even care? Why do I even want to? Well, because it's this kind of love that won me over. Here's the gospel. I want to do it because it's, I, I've experienced this and there's nothing like it. It won me over. That's how powerful it is. That's how life-changing it is. That's how strong it is. The gospel isn't just this thing that we tell people. It is the power of God unto salvation. It wakes the dead. It calls out the names on the ledger and says, come up out of that grave. Christ has this love and has exhibited this kind of love for you and I. That's why we want to give it to others. We want them to experience the same thing that we've experienced. And so we want to walk in it. We want to copy Jesus. We want to plagiarize Him as much as we possibly can. Because we want other people to experience it too. And I know that I know that I know that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. I know that my transgressions are back there, a multitude of them, a multitude of sins. Before I ever gave him a thought, he was already giving me thoughts. He did not wait till after I paid back every bit of my offenses, but while I was in the midst of them, he loved me out of them. This is how he won me in the beginning, and it's how he continues to win me every single day. And if you're honest, it's true for you too. It is the gospel. We are saved by the gospel, and we're actually going to see him face to face by the grace of God through the gospel. We never graduate from the gospel, right? I give him reasons every single day to break up with me. I give him reasons every single day to divorce me, just to call the whole thing off. Just to say, you know what? I've been striving with you for a long time. And, and, and these, these things you do just keep piling up and piling up. And it's like, you know what? I just don't think I want to go on anymore. He never does that. He never says that. I've given him a million reasons not to love me. And he's not listening to any of them. Amen? Amen. That's the gospel. And that's why you and I are able to walk in a love like this. is because we know it. We know it. We live it. We've experienced it fully. Guys, as the days continue to get darker, the world continues to get weirder, we need to go like this as a church, not like that. And as we go like this, we need more of this. That's what Peter's saying. The end of all things is at hand, so love with everything you've got. Let's be that church. Lord, thank you so much for your word um, that never ceases to amaze me. I can look at the gospel a million times and it never ceases to just blow me away as if it's the first time. I thank you for the depths of your love 
that are always being revealed and uncovered the longer that I get to spend time with you, God. And I ask that for these people here. I ask that for this congregation, that they would just continually fall in love all over again each and every day with your work on their behalf. Thank you for your righteousness, God, for giving that to us. And thank you for taking our sin upon yourself. Thank you for that unfair exchange that we may have a hope that is your return, that we may have a joy of expectation to see you face to face rather than a fear of condemnation and judgment. So thank you for all that you've accomplished to your glory for your name's sake. And we will praise your name, God, every day that we have breath. And it's in your glorious name that we pray.